anywhere where like one day it took us 16 hours to make 800 meters half a mile of distance mm. of hard work yeah hey this is a seek outside podcast with kevin and dennis today we have with us ben brochu ben is a canadian adventurer um spends a lot of time with his family he's done some pretty impressive stuff we first met him or became aware of him he shared an incredible photo on our facebook or instagram that was from a wood river expedition he had done pack rafting that turned out to maybe be a little more adventure than it was initially planned anyway how are you doing today ben i'm doing well how are you doing kevin awesome dennis you good I'm I'm good. Still surviving at okay. home. <laughs> so let's kind of get into a little bit of an overview about Ben. You are a hunting guide in the fall, correct? Um, you've done sailing adventures with your family um, throughout the winter. You do some pretty remote, rugged pack rafting trips where it's been not a five or ten mile or kilometer hike in, but they've been more like over the edge of a volcano and things like that. Correct. Yeah, for sure. That's the sort of thing I like to, uh, find places that haven't been done. The exploring is as much as fun as the rafting and hiking. So how do you, okay, let's, let's go with the wood river expedition, right? We know that one went a little bit sideways. Um, but how did you determine that that was going to be, an adventure, an exploration, whatever it was. And then we can kind of get into what went sideways. Yeah, for sure. The uh, Wood River expedition was really my first big trip. I started pack rafting and, uh, well, I just heard about it in 2012. And instantly I'm like, this is the thing because you can uh, do trips that really weren't possible before not in the time frame I had because I was working full-time and only had a week off here or max uh, two weeks off ever so um, I had met Luke Schmidt at the uh, first pack raft roundup that they had in the I was think it was in the Flathead River in Montana and uh, we did a shakedown run on the Elk River down there by Fernie BC basically just to see um, if uh, Luke was going to be up for this sort of trip because I knew uh, it was a lot of unknown and I had uh, kind of jumped right into the deep end with pack rafting where my first time pack rafting on moving water was this uh, flooding beaver creek where the beaver dams became like little waterfalls and uh, coming from a canoeing background these pack rafts were much more forgiving um, but because of that I, uh, I think early on I bit off more than I should have in terms of safety and we can get more into that, uh, with the wood river. So, uh, where, where is the wood river or, or where are you located in, in respect to that, I guess as well. Okay. So I'm in Northwest Alberta, kind of in the grand prairie area, which is a large oil field and, um, farming kind of area. Uh, the wood river, I was already looking basically for trips, uh, that, there was no information on it or that I had basically that hadn't been done as far as, uh, as far as we could find out anyways. And, um, we, uh, scouted that trip out, basically Google earth and looking on the maps, um, 
the Wood River is in Hamber Provincial Park, which is kind of basically straight south of Jasper, Alberta. And uh, we crossed into BC at some point on that trip. So we started at what's called Fortress Lake, which is just a wonderful uh, brook trout fishing lake that is usually helicopter in. And uh, we hiked into there. And the plan was to float out the Wood River um, to Athabasca Pass and then hike up Athabasca Pass, which is like a historic indigenous route. Um, but no one had ever does it because there's not really a trail into it. Um, and then go out the Whirlpool River. That's the thing I love about pack rafts is you can do big loops. That's like the gold standard for a good pack raft trip in my mind is where you can go down one river, up a glacier over some mountains, and then go down another river and come back where you started. Hmm. And that's this basically was that kind of trip. Um, so I guess what happened well what went wrong or how um yeah i guess what happened yeah well and i think uh it was funny the second packraft roundup i think used our trip as a learning example because looking back now uh, we didn't have the experience to do that trip but we didn't know enough to know that we shouldn't have been doing that basically and uh as far as the technical uh, skills to determine the rate of drop on the river and that sort of thing. Basically what happened is in terms of kilometers traveled, you know, we thought we could do this trip in five days because, you know, we've done over a hundred kilometers, you know, 60 mile days on a pack raft. Um, but the problem here was, uh, our experience was working against us and that most of my river running before that was on the other side of the Rockies on the Alberta side, which is much drier than uh, the BC side. So as soon as we dropped into that, the Wood River drainage, there was basically a, a lot of moisture getting dropped before that air from the ocean getting pushed over the mountains, and it was a rainforest. Um, so there was, we knew that there was going to be some impassable gorges. We could determine that, like, you know, from the satellite imagery, the river just is gone. It doesn't, you know, you can't mm -hmm. see it anymore. And, and we could tell from the topos that it had dropped, but what we weren't prepared for was the, the portages, you know, I had never been anywhere where like one day it took us 16 hours to make 800 meters, half a mile of distance mm. of hard work. Yeah. Just, just to get around kind of these tight spots and, and going downhill. Um, hmm. Yeah, well, not, not even downhill because to get 800 meters closer the right direction, we probably did four or five kilometers and also gained and lost, you know, thousands of feet of elevation because um, the riverside areas were in a gorge where there's cliffs and sure. alder and devil's club. Um, so you're, you know, you're down climbing and then you're up climbing and then you're getting cliffed out and then you're using your paddle to wedge the alders, you know, apart enough that you can, uh, basically ram yourself through. Like we were actually had to like physically push our packs, um, through. So we, we had one gorge that held us up a bit for a couple days, you know, on our five day trip. And then what happens to get a long story short is, uh, we put in probably before we should have put in because we were trying to make it out on time because we had jobs and, and all that. 
and ended up uh, both flipping our pack rafts and uh, losing both of our boats uh, with our packs and all our gear uh, for a considerable amount of time. And, uh, you know, that's quite a moment when you realize, okay, we're out here. And it's not like I find it interesting some of this COVID-19 discussion in the States where people are staying you know, out of the wilderness because they don't want to endanger first responders. And I understand that concept, but mm-hmm. on a trip like this, like there is no first responders. Like you can't get in there. You can't get a helicopter within anywhere of there. Like no one's coming to get you. So it's not, um, it's just a different, it's a different concept. We don't have that sort of infrastructure because there's just not that many uh, backcountry users in those reasons outside of, you know, hunting outfitters in the more accessible areas. So, um, so you've, you both flip, you both lose everything. So now you're, you're standing on shore and looking at each other, like now, now what is that kind of what happened? And then yeah, you went- it was a little worse than that because, um, I, we, we got separated in that event. So I went first, usually rafting. I have a little bit more confident rafter. I went first, but Luke saw me capsize. And then the nice thing about a pack raft is you can get back on. So I capsized, flipped the boat in got back on and kept doing that. But because it was class four whitewater and, uh, I couldn't get my spray skirt back on. I run self bailing pack rafts now, but I couldn't get my spray deck back on. So I would just fill with water again. And then I would capsize again and eventually got stuck in a hole. Um, and as I'm getting surfed in a hole, like I was underwater for a period of time, that sort of thing. I see Luke's boat pass me without Luke. (laughs) So that was probably the most sobering moment of, you know, anything I've done outside is where I think I maybe just killed Luke because Luke's boat is gone. I have no idea where Luke is. It's, it's, it's too windy and thick and Canyon that, you know, it's not like I can see along the riverbank. So I'm, I'm, I basically where I was able to get out of the water without my pack raft was above another gorge and series of waterfall, like where I just grabbed a branch out of the side of the river. So I'm like hanging by a branch on the side of the river and, uh, you know, not knowing, uh, if Luke is okay, but his boat is long gone. Luke actually punctured his boat on that same, uh, on that rapid. So he, he was able to get to shore, but because his boat was uh, punctured, he, he eventually couldn't hold it anymore because the current was taking it and he actually let go of it. Um, and uh, so there was probably a good half hour, hour before I could make my way back up river to reconnect with Luke and to determine that he was okay. Hmm. How did you know to go up river instead of down river? Just because you couldn't go down? Um, I could, well, I couldn't, I could only went down to a point cause then it was, it was cliffed out and, uh, yeah. but basically I didn't see him bobbing down the river. So yeah. if he was down the river and I couldn't have seen him through the stretch that I could see, you know, it was not a good prognosis. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went upstream, uh, assuming that he had done like I did, but had, uh, I didn't know at that point I knew his rope was popped. So I had assumed he had abandoned ship basically because you can't, uh, those were Cocapelli pack rafts with two chambers. So his boat was floating on one chamber. So it wasn't sinking to the bottom mm. or whatever, but it's not like he could run white water. Yeah. With one yeah. Chamber. Huh. Um, 
Okay. So at this point you have your boat still or your boat's gone as well? No, my boat is gone. So yeah, we literally had no boats and no gear um, at that time. We, we basically, it was early in the day. We were smart enough to uh, not attempt that late in the day because we knew it was going to be a little risky. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is we, which is a learning experience for other people, is we hadn't practiced. We had done a fair bit of pack rafting, but not with that degree of a load that we had. And this was before they had the zippers in the boats. So we had this, you know, big, heavy pack on the front of the boat, which really affected the handling more than we were prepared for. Cause it wasn't a rapid that we shouldn't have been able to run, but we, uh, we were exhausted at that point already from our portaging and, uh, we just hadn't practiced loaded like that. And we really sh- should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, once we regrouped, we spent the rest of that day um, bushwhacking and actually even swimming down the river at some places because we did have dry suits. I learned that lesson on the Stikine River up in northern BC. Um, but then uh, we found my boat by the end of that day, I think. Mm. Yeah, it was mine or so, his. So how did you guys keep a um, cheery, smiley environment with each other? I mean, a lot of people, I think if things weren't that bad, it would start to not be very cheery. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair question. And that's why I had the degree of confidence to bring Luke into this trip, because basically the previous trip I took him on, I purposely took him through a canyon that was beyond his skill level, which wasn't the nicest thing to do, um, where we took some significant swims and ended up doing some paddling in the dark and hitchhiking, trying to get home. And, and, uh, I, I knew kind of gave me an idea what he was made of. And, um, we had our moments for sure. Um, it'd be interesting to hear Luke's recollections on it. You know, my tendency in that scenario is to take charge and I think uh, there was some pros to that. And I think there was some moments where, you know, Luke was uh, you're not a happy camper with my attitude in that where I remember one moment, this was probably three, four days later where Luke was running out of gas and I'm basically saying, okay, well, I'm going. So uh, good luck, you know? Uh, so I don't think we ha- I handled that perfectly. Um, but, uh, but we, you realize you're in this together. And after that trip and we haven't finished the whole story, but, um, I'll, I'll go anywhere with Luke. Like I trust Luke with my life on a number of occasions and vice versa. And that's the sort of, um, you know, we have a deeper relationship than people I've known my whole life, uh, because of what we've been through together and knowing we have each other's back in that scenario. Hmm. So you, so you, you find one boat by the end of the day, you obviously maybe have shelter and some food, um, that kind of yeah, thing. We had our, oh yeah. It was my boat because we had our BT2. So we had, um, we found my boat. We get up off the river because of these gorges. It was so moist. Like I've never, and that was my experience in what I thought was the Rockies, uh, that wasn't rainforest um, working against me where it was so wet that I remember carving, um, you know, a, a piece of cedar down to the heartwood, like a piece of dead cedar right into them splitting it and then shaving, you know, paper thin slices of the interior of that wood. And it was too wet to burn. 
because we're trying to warm up because it, you know, it's still like freezes at night at that elevation in the mm-hmm. summertime. And everything was so, so, so wet that we, we ended up making a canopy out of the BT2, like pitching it like a, you know, a canopy tent and um, getting the one side down and uh, basically ended up, cause we only had one sleeping quilt light and lightened equipment, sweeping, sleeping quilt that was mine. And Luke slept in his dry suit and like basically huddling there, shivering all night because, uh, yeah, we only had one pad and it, anything that was insulation was just so wet. We eventually got a fire going, but you know, I, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at making fires, but I, I wasn't prepared for just how wet every last possible thing was. Hmm. Um, and that's day, um, what day is that out of the whole trip? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe like, so it was a, supposed to be a five day trip, but it took 11 days. Uh, huh. so um, like we've just, yeah, this is the best trip where we'll never do again. Yeah. Um, because it, uh, I've actually had people, what happened is we made a video and then, um, DB Palmer, who was uh, doing films in Alaska, had seen the pictures from our trip somehow and asked, uh, we connected and he edited the video up. So it's actually taken down right now, but the it was the most viewed packrafting video for a long time. So I would have people messaging me saying, how can I do this trip? I'm like, no, you don't understand. You don't want to <laughs> do this trip. Like you could, like it was a fair amount of luck that we didn't die. Like it's, it's simply not a good idea. Like even having done it before doing like to do it again, we could do it. It would still take us that long and it could still go wrong. It's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's that difficult of country. We found out after because some of the uh, Facebook pics kind of went viral. Um, there was the guys who tried to punch a trail through that area in the early nineties who connected with us, but they gave up, you know, with helicopters and government support and all that, um, they abandoned the effort. Wow. So, so they had helicopters, government support, everything. And they were like, no, this is just too rugged a country. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's like that. Like there, there's parts of it are good. It just, those, those sections with the gorges, that are that gnarly that, um, and the river is not runnable, maybe at certain levels and with better skill level, you could run more of that. But to this day, like, you know, none of the big name kayak guys have run that because logistically it's just, uh, it'd be incredibly difficult to do. I don't want to say impossible, but it sure, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be easy even knowing more. And, you know, like looking back, I learned out how to calculate your drop of feet per mile. And like, cause there were sections there where we're portaging and we're looking up at the river and it's two, 300 feet above us. And it's not that far away. Right. So, you know, we should have been able to figure that out, like knowing what we know now. Um, but I would just kind of looking at squiggly lines on a map and saying, you know, seeing the gradient on the topo and, Oh, that doesn't look too bad. So um, you got home, you took your map where you figured out this whole Wood River thing and you took a big Sharpie and you put a big X through it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like I didn't even know enough. Like we were planning these trips with the back road map books, which are awesome. 
but have gotten me into a lot of trouble because they're, they're not detailed enough. And even like traveling, doing a lot of exploring in Northern BC and the territories and stuff. Um, there's errors on topo maps all over the place. Like there, there's just like, Oh, that mountain's not there or this river doesn't go this way. Like there's, I was surprised how many mistakes are on the topo maps. Hmm. So you're, so you're supposed to be out in five days. It, are there people like, you know, day seven, day eight, are there people getting real worried about where you are? Are you able to talk to anybody? Did you have uh, like an in reach or something like that? Yeah, we did, which was good. Um, and, and that was, that was a big thing, which I hadn't realized is, uh, so I had a spot tracker at that point and I always would keep that in my dry suit pocket. Right. So mm-hmm. that was one, uh, you know, if we had to press that, we could have, but the truth is no one could have got to us anyways, but that was like a morale boost sort of deal, you know? And that was kind of like, if we could have got to the Alberta side, um, and then we were in a national park. That was our theory anyways, that because we're in a park and we had got our proper permit for the park side of it, that, uh, we probably could get rescued at that point if we could get to Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Luke had his inreach in his pack for some reason. Uh, and his, so, and we didn't find his boat for like three more days, Wow, two or three. So you guys, I can't, so you guys, Go ahead. So you guys had a five day trip that turned into an 11 day trip. Not only that you, so you had half the calories you thought, um, for the trip, probably not only that, at one point you were gone, the other pack, which probably had half of the calories remaining. So and actually kinda, most of the food was in Luke's pack, which was dumb again, <laughs> but we, so we basically had next to no food for about, I don't know, three, four days, probably a little bit more actually. We had, we ate a lot of blueberries. Hmm. But so you were able to at least like check in right with people and say, Hey, like we're fine. It's just going to take us a bit or, or was well, that yeah, like, well, not until we got Luke's pack. Got it. Cause then we and, had the reach. Yeah. Um, so once we found, we found Luke's boat, like just hanging by a branch, you know, in the braided section of the river. So his boat navigated those gorges solo with one chamber. So that was awesome. And, um, and then we found, and he had most of the food. So we were like super stoked because we had found the food. We had found the inreach, you know, we knew it was going to be good. We didn't think his boat was repairable at that point, but we actually repaired his boat and, we punctured my boat later on in that trip. Um, but yeah, so like anyway, I lost my paddle too on the swim. So we, we eventually found once we got to the braided section, we found an old outfitters camp, like maybe from the fifties or something. Cause they're one on through the braided section. There's not really a trail until you get to a certain point, but you can take a horse up the, up the um floodplain kind of um so we found some wood and some screws and a five gallon bucket and we made a a paddle out of uh you know the bottom of a five gallon bucket and then a bucket lid and then the screws and the wood that we found um so then we were able to proceed rafting a little bit more carefully because his boat was held together with tyvek tape so Uh, so you channeled your inner uh, survivor man at that point 
Yeah. Oh yeah, we just, you know, it, uh, the, 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 the funny thing about this trip is, and Luke kind of accuses me of having an optimistic memory, but I, I remember this as being a fun trip. Like we had a lot of fun we were singing and joking and, um, you know, we, but we did, yeah, we had to be resourceful because what else do you do? Cause I was honestly more worried about my wife being ticked off, um, because I'm, you know, super late and, uh, and I'm actually pastoring a church at this time in the small town, DeBolt. So, you know, I got people I'm supposed to be responsible to. I'm supposed to be at work. Um, so I sent a uh, inreach message out at one point uh, to uh, basically tell my wife, you know, don't worry, but we're going to be late, you know, <laughs> and, um, through separate messages, what eventually I was worried that I was going to be in trouble. So I said, cause we got injured a little bit and, um, you know, but basically I was painting the picture that, you know, we're doing the best that we can, but I think that's when she started to worry because, um, yeah, we were low on food. Like I, I'm, I was probably like 140 pounds soaking wet when I started that trip and I lost 13 pounds in, uh, whatever, hmm. 11 days, 11 days. Yeah. So, yeah, so we have to go so, back up the mountains, right? Like we dropped all this elevation. Yeah, and then, and then you get a hike over the top. Over the mountains to the other side again to go down the whirlpool. So, so do you have a do you have a picture of that paddle by chance? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh I think if we find I think it's or maybe it's not on that one. Uh I'm saying it might have been the thumbtail thumbnail for the YouTube video, but I don't think it is anymore. But um the uh yeah if you go on my facebook maybe i can link to the album or something um but i got like 100 pictures from this trip so okay. that's yeah, one thing awesome. that we had the presence of mind to do and because you know what else are we doing we did we took a lot of video i actually started making like db's video is like 13 minutes long but i had like 3 hours of footage from this trip uh <laughs> so i started making a longer version of it and i just it's still not finished, unfortunately, but, uh, but all of that stuff is in there. Yes. Yeah, one of these days, uh, if I lose my job because of this COVID, maybe I'll finish editing the rest of that footage. So did your wife just go to the church and tell the congregation, well, like, look, man, he's somewhere, um, in the wilderness and he says he's fine, but he's not going to be here. Or... Yeah, like I, I can't remember. I don't think I missed an additional Sunday, so that helped. But uh, I was, I must have been emailing our admin assistant or something, uh, because but you know they knew that I do this sort of thing, so I don't think it was tremendously out of character. But we did have like um, by the time we finally made it out, eleven days later, uh, my parents and my wife and uh two friends of ours they were concerned enough that they went to go meet us at the trailhead but we actually beat them out and we're actually on our way home because i'm like oh no i'm in crap for being so late um but they were prepared to you know help us uh hike the last bit so hmm. but we were by then we had you know we were we were smelling the barn and we're ready to go um but yeah i think my knee was pretty messed up and luke was a little gibbled and uh you know we were like uh eating half a granola bar for a day sort of thing 
at that point. But once you're, once you've been going uphill forever and all of a sudden you're floating downhill on the river, it's awesome, right? Like you feel like you've just been given a new lease on life because the river is doing all the work. And so that we ran that whirlpool river, you know, all the way back to civilization. Um, and there was some portages on that. And I popped my boat at one point and, and whatever, but relatively speaking, compared to what we had done the previous week, it was a walk in the park. Pretty yeah, relatively pretty speaking, you guys were probably all smiles at that point. Oh, we totally, we totally were, you know, like we did like a 52 kilometer day. So I don't know what's at 30 miles ish or something. Um, gaining, I forget how many feet, but like straight from the bottom all the way up to Athabasca pass in one day. Um, cause we were just, you know, we were, you know, after having survived that whole ordeal and whatever you can, it's amazing what you can do when you have to do it. Like that was one of the benefits of that trip is, um, you know, when you have to do something that difficult and you do it, you realize, okay, you know, your limits aren't what you, you know, I wouldn't have done that on purpose, but it was a confidence building thing. Yeah. It was also a sobering, uh, you know, reminder that I needed to learn more what I was doing as far as trip planning and that sort of thing. But, uh, but it was an overall positive thing. Wow. So let's go on to you and Luke did some other trips, right? Um, the one where you went over the um, Mount, the Stratovolcano, um, that one. Mount sure was, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that one I'm sure was not as adventurous as the Wood River expedition, um, but still was a pretty uh, remote um, trip and um, pretty remote territory, correct? Yeah, well, and actually, like, it was more remote territory, and the trip was much more ambitious in that, like, I think the Wood River trip was, like, a 150-kilometer loop. Um, the mounted size of the trip was, like, 400 kilometers. Um, but we had learned a lot more by then, and uh, we didn't make the same mistakes. Like, we knew when to fold them. So um, that was supposed to – that's one of those perfect loop trips where Telegraph Creek is in the extreme uh, northwest corner of BC. And we, so we were going to go down the Stikine River, which is – I don't know. You must have heard about the Grand Canyon of the Stikine, like where the whitewater kayaker guys go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we put it right after that section because you don't want to run that section with a pack raft. But then, you know, did 100 kilometers – basically the first day and that kept going down to the scud river and then our hope and plan was to um hike up the scud river which was kind of a braided uh floodplain type river up to the scud glacier and then use the glaciers to travel over to the mess creek drainage and then run mess creek back to telegraph creek basically make a perfect loop and climb mount edsiza on the way which is the second highest or highest volcano in Canada, depending how you uh, cut it. But um, what happened there is uh, the, it was the warmest weather that they've had like ever there. Like usually it's quite uh, cloudy and rainy in the winter and kind of cool there. I mean, in the summer, uh, but we had like 30 degrees above like 80 degrees the whole time. Um, so that river, which usually would have been pretty low at that time of year, uh, was just raging. So we couldn't, 
it was a uh, you know reminiscent of the uh, Wood River in terms of the bushwhacking because it was it's the coastal mountains those range and it's just it's it's rainforest in uh, in that area so we uh, we couldn't stick to the floodplain so eventually we had to give up and that's where we made the right call and still got out on that trip early is we actually uh, bailed on the scud floated back out to the stikine and then uh, got a float plane to jump us over the next drainage where because we would have just we realized you know in that time that uh you know it just wasn't possible in the time frame that we had so then we jumped over to this little unnamed skinny lake um in which no one had landed on as far as we could find out with a float plane but we convinced the guy to land there because it was it was a good run out but it was just skinny um and then uh then we did the whole mess creek from there and climbed up mountain size which was which was pretty cool it's a really really special area Hmm. So you learn from you learn from the first trip to like, hey, like <laughs> we'll we'll fold it this time. Yeah, we had to we learned to bite the pride and and the financial cost, you know, was part of it too, right? Hmm. Um and well in the Wood River, there was no bailout option really. Like even had we turned we would have had to bail out. Yeah, once we went through that first gorge the bailout option would have taken as long. Like there was no good bailout option on the, on the wood river. That's why it's really not a good idea. Um, turning back. Yeah, it was, you kind of, it's, you're really committed. Um, and that's what I've learned, you know, s- subsequent to, uh, some of these trips is it's not about, you know, 50 kilometers of bushwhacking is not equivalent to 50 kilometers of bushwhacking. Like there's some 50 kilometers of bushwhacking is easy. You can do that in a day. And sometimes it's literally will take you two weeks and you still can't do it. So you, you gotta, you, sometimes you can know enough to be dangerous. Right. And that's how I was at the, at the beginning is I had enough experience to think I had enough experience, but I was incorrect. Mm. Yeah. But so then between those two trips, we did uh, a trip, um, a first descent of the upper Monkman, river in monkman provincial park which is in the tumbler ridge bc area and that was a really cool trip where everything went according to plan where we um hiked into uh monkman lake and then we went and climbed up paxton peak which is uh you know again no information no trail that sort of thing we ended up climbing this mountain in the fog which was unfortunate because we never did get to see what it looked like in there um, and there wasn't enough detailed topo maps to like know which way to do it. So we kept getting cliffed out. Um, but there was uh, a series, I think there was like 24 marked waterfalls on our, on our float out. Um, and it was a, a just beautiful, beautiful area that actually went back, uh, the next year and ice climbed those waterfalls. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing that very few people get in there because it's a, it's a long multi-day hike and, uh, the pack rafts made it much more easy when you can stick to the river, when there's no trail you to hike through there would take forever, but to raft through there, it's actually a very pool drop in nature where there's uh you know, it's basically easy paddling and then waterfall, easy paddling, then waterfall. Hmm. So how many days was that trip? 
I think that was about five or six. It really should take more. Like that's part of what, you know, we were young and energetic and we only had five days. Right. So we Mm -hmm. would do like, usually people would take five days just to do the hike into the lake, but we hiked into the lake and then went up into the tarns. They call it up into the mountains, climb the mountain, you know, come back and raft it out in that same amount of time, which pack rafts help because you can uh, do trips that are twice as long. Um, but, uh, you know, ideally it's maybe way more fun and less, uh, punishing, uh, to take twice that long. Hmm. What, uh, so, I mean, we're going to shift gears maybe a little bit from the pack rafting. So you do all these crazy adventures and then where, where you're at right in, um, kind of in Canada there, it's very, very cold. So it sounds like is it recently that you took the whole family then and got on a sailboat, which is new, right? Because you don't necessarily live next to big bodies of water and then spent five months on a sailboat. Yeah, no, I didn't. uh, It's not like I grew up. My wife grew up on the ocean, never went sailing, but (coughs) excuse me. Don't worry. I don't got the Corona. Um, But um I had never been on a sailboat till, um, yeah, like I said, the March before we went and did this, but I, I had the idea, honestly, I think from YouTube of sailing and it seemed like something that, uh, you know, would be interested in. And I was always kind of bugging my wife that, you know, when we retire or when the kids graduate from high school, you know, cause I, we had kids, we have four kids. Uh, we had two girls, two boys and, uh, we'll be pretty young when they are graduated. Like, I think I'll be 46 when my last one graduates from high school. Um, so we were going to just say, you know, I wanted to prep her, you know, slowly wear her down to go sail around the world with me when, uh, <laughs> when the kids are done. Cool. <laughs> and, uh, long story short, um, you know, really needing a break from what we were doing, and uh just wanting to spend more time with as a family like that's what i realized with the pack rafting thing at the ages my kids were at it's not a family friendly hobby you know and i had kind of got into mountaineering a little bit um but realizing again that's not going to enable me to do what i need to do as a father and to spend this time with my kids and you know and i had so very little time off that i didn't want to be spending it on myself um so we uh we decided, my wife actually said, well, why not do it now? Why not do the sailing thing now? And I was like, what? Because uh, th- I just didn't even think she would go for it. But we did. So we, uh, I flew down to Mazatlan in November to look at a sailboat and uh, looked at a whole bunch. And the one that we ended up buying was the only good one that I looked at and uh, bought it. <laughs> Uh, once I was, you know, just remotely while I was at home here and, uh, stepped down from my position and, uh, as effective January 1st, and we were there January 17th or something moved on to the sailboat. And like, I didn't even know how to park the thing. Like, um, <laughs> I had went sailing, well, there was an intermediary step where I bought a little sailboat, 
uh, sight unseen in Edmonton, Alberta, of all places, like a trailer or sailor boat. And then we went on the Sunshine Coast in BC for 10 days. But that was my first time sailing like, um, and we had no wind there. So we really didn't get much sailing. And so while we were living on the boat in Mazatlan, there was a, you know, older guy that we met out there, just super nice guy who literally like hopped on the boat with me. And as I, you know, tried to get it out of the channel there, cause the channel coming out of Mazatlan Harbor is sketchy cause it's, uh, there's big waves and it's shallow and there's sandbars and whatever. And then he just showed me how to do it. So, so did you, so he kind of taught you how to get out, but at that point you still didn't necessarily have a ton of experience sailing. Were you watching YouTube videos? Is that, I mean, is that how you taught yourself how to sail? Well, and I wish like, um, at that point, like that was basically we took the boat out of the harbor once and uh with steve and practice he showed me how to anchor and we anchored at deer island isla venados outside of um mazalan and then we came back that day and then like a couple days later someone else who was in the marina basically her name was if you ever want to look up someone cool uh Ava seven seas is her Facebook thing when she's not good with Facebook, but there's, she's a Swedish lady who, um, bought a sailboat in the black sea and then went through all the rivers, sailed it down through all the rivers. And she didn't know how to sail either sailed across the Atlantic and eventually wrecked her boat by Puerto Rico. Um, but like she had broke her rudder off like three times and her engine didn't work. She went up the Amazon river with this boat, uh, but anyways, we randomly met this lady named Ava who convinced us who she saw us going to getting, we're going to get stuck in Mazatlan. And uh, she's like, come with me. We're going to Banderas Bay. So we, which is like by Puerto Vallarta. So it was like, I'm not sure, maybe a hundred, no, it's like 250 kilometers or something. It's a good sale. Like it was an overnight multi-day, the very first time we went sailing with that boat, we did an overnighter in the open ocean. Um, cause I hadn't even unfurled my sail, like my head sail. I didn't, we didn't even know how to do that. So we were, <laughs> we, we just waited for it to be calm and we just motored. And then, uh, yeah. So in some ways it was a little bit risky, but I knew enough about the water, like from the paddling and I do have a bit of an aviation background. So I, I get wind and hydrodynamics and that sort of thing. Um, so, but yeah, we, we were pretty green so that, and I did scare my wife a little bit cause we, we were sailing with buddy boating with Ava who was crewing for, uh, Terry, this other guy. Um, and, uh, he pulled his whole head sail out. Um, and he's like, I'm just going to motor sail for a bit. Cause we finally had enough wind. And, but my head sail was like twice as big as his. And neither of us knew that cause I didn't know the difference, you know? Um, so all of a sudden I'm doing seven and a half knots, which is like a knot and a half faster than hull speed on this boat. And the boat is healing over at like 40 degrees with these gusting winds. And I don't even know how to throw my head sail in. Um, <laughs> so we, we, that was the, you know, didn't help boost my wife's confidence in my sailing abilities because we had tried to turn it up the wind and she hadn't steered the boat before, but she's having to try to keep it pointed into the wind so we can get the head sail in so we actually tore our uv cover a little bit on that and um but our sailing so, skills went up from there so what what is it like being in the doghouse 
and stuck on a sailboat. Uh, it was great <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it's, well, there's no doghouse on our sailboat. Like it was a 34 foot sailboat. So most people consider that a two person sailboat. Um, so for six right. people, like we, the boys had to sleep on the settees, which are like the, the seats for the table, you know? And the, we, the two girls were sharing the V birth in the front and my wife and I were sharing the aft birth. Um, but it, uh, the weather was fabulous. Like we were there five months and it, uh, like we're used to Alberta where there's mosquitoes, you know, or it gets cold where it, you know, we have good weather generally in the summer, but like we didn't shut the companionway hatch in five months. We had a little sprinkle of rain one morning in La Cruz in Banderas Bay in like February. That's it. You know, really? so it, uh, it was good. Like, it's not like we never got off the boat. Um, a lot of places we could get off the boat every day. Hmm. So do you still have the boat? Is it, um, is this, something you plan to do again? Uh, no, we, well, I love to do it again, but we couldn't just keep the boat sitting there. Uh, yeah. because for us, that was our, that, that was our life savings basically put into the boat. And then, um, you have to pay to store the boat. Sure. And even especially with this recession coming on and whatnot, I'm kind of glad we were able to sell the boat, um, because that that's kind of our, our backup plan, but, uh, it was hard. I, I didn't really want to sell it, but, uh, when we had made the decision not to go this winter, cause we went not this winter, that's just supposed to be over here, but it's not like we got three feet of snow here. Um, but anyways, it was, the when we decided to not go this winter, we decided to sell the boat okay. and, um, so if we do it again, we'll be able to probably get a, we would get a little bigger boat because now we know how to sail good enough because we didn't want to get a boat beyond what we could sail. You know, like if you're, as soon as you get into a 40 foot boat, it weighs three times as much. So you need that much bigger sails. There's more force on the rigging. It just gets much higher consequence if something goes wrong compared to a smaller boat and your storage fees go up and your maintenance, everything just goes up, up, up. Um, that's why we went with the 34 boat foot boat and I'm glad we did. We could have got a 40 foot boat, for example, that was in a lot worse shape and been fixing it the whole time. But the boat we got was an excellent boat and didn't need any major work or anything like that. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, man, that's a, that's a lot of, lot of stuff. Yeah, no. So you also, you used to be a sheep guide, right? And now you guide moose. Uh, no, but I would like to. Use oh, oh! I thought you used to be a sheep guide at some point. I thought I, I've done a little sheep hunting, uh, but I haven't guided. But I would totally take a sheep guiding job. If someone's got one. Um, I've mostly out. done. Uh, what's that? I said, call out to everybody listening. Anybody got a sheep? <laughs> exactly. Guide? Yeah, I've, I because where I grew up wasn't in the mountains. So the guiding, when I was 16, I started working for an outfitter guiding for bear, for black bear. And for, uh, but when you're 18, then you're allowed to guide. Um, and then uh, for bear and moose predominantly. And then um, 
once I came back from sailing, I did fishing guiding in the Arctic uh, for the summer and then did some elk and moose and waterfowl guiding. So I grew up, you know, hunting, fishing, trapping all the time. But because I worked full time, I could only do a little bit here and there. Um, but I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were catching like giant Lakers up in the Arctic, weren't you? Or giant rookies or something like that? Yeah, no, it's Lake lake Trout. And uh, yeah. like the biggest we pulled out at our lodge so far, I think was 62 pounds. Um, so it's a completely untouched fishery because there was never any indigenous settlements on that lake. Uh, there was never any net fishing and it's just a huge lake. Like, um, Kevin McNeil, who, uh, bought the fishing lodge. It used to be a, uh, caribou hunting lodge. That's the reason why it exists. Um, but then they, uh, used through politics and whatever, they pulled those caribou tags. Um, so then he turned it into a fishing lodge. Um, but like Kevin's only explored maybe a 10th of the lake and he's been there, you know, since, I think 2015 or 13, something like that every summer, but it's so big that the only way to really explore it is would be to take your camp, you know, and like, you know, go all day in one direction and try to like make a loop, but it would take you all summer. Um, so that we're still finding cool spots and there's no charts of it, of course. Right. So we're charting it on our chart plotters every time we go explore, um, but it's, it's, it's a really cool, like there's, you know, you'd be fishing and there's muskox and there's wolverines and there's caribou and, uh, it's pretty special. Yeah. If you, I know you've been up North Kevin, but it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a whole different thing. Like it's, there is no jets flying over. There is no noise. Like it's, it's crazy. No, it's pretty awesome. I mean, even the, the, as far North as I've been has been awesome. You know, it's just been one of those things that, yeah, floating down a river and you see a muskox, you know, about 40 yards away. You're like, wow. That's pretty sweet. I love muskox. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, thanks for coming on and um, joining us today and telling us about adventures that went awry and adventures that went really well. <laughs> yeah. So, Ben, how, uh, how do people find you or how do people um, go fishing with you or all that stuff. For sure. Yeah, you could definitely. And that's something I'm, I'm probably going to be more open to. I've had people in the past, you know, ask, can I basically hire you to take me on this pack raft adventure or whatever, this sort of canoe trip or, um, and I'm, I'm going to be open to more of that, uh, hinterland outdoors. I got a Facebook page that's called that, um, as well as Instagram hinterland outdoors, um, YouTube channel, Hinterland Sailing and Hinterland Outdoors. You can uh, check those out. I'm still working my way through our, we're just getting to the good part of our sailing footage in the Sea of Cortez, but we got 30 episodes in and probably another 30 to come. And, uh, and my pack crafting stuff is all going to be on my Hinterland Outdoors channel. Cool. And hunting stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, really appreciate you coming on and, and telling us about all the adventures and hopefully we get to do it again sometime soon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Yeah, see ya.